Okay, just hit record. Let's boogie. Okay, welcome back to Tokyo. I'll start that again. Okay, <laughs> could be one of those days. Okay, uh, welcome to episode 8 of Tokyo Jazz Joints podcast. Um, today we're going to be in the prefecture of a thousand leaves, Chiba, also known as Surfer's Paradise, but we'll get onto that in a bit. Thanks to all our listeners, we're really blown away by the feedback that we've got. Um, we're amazed. I was looking through it, we had to finally upgrade to a SoundCloud Pro account because obviously we're planning to continue the old podcast. So uh, you get a bit more of a breakdown on where people are listening. And uh, predictably, you know, we've got a lot of listeners in Japan, uh, the US, the UK, even a few in Ireland. But uh, really interesting when you get further down the list there, we've got a couple in Tunisia. I'm not sure if that's some of my in-laws just trying to support the cause. Uh, we've got a couple of listeners in Myanmar, uh, in Iran. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just think, well, you know, it, some of the places that you, you see people listening and it seems so far away from both where we are and the places that we're talking about. So it's really cool to, to see that people are listening all over the all over the world. James, any thoughts on that? Oh, good evening, Philip. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it just shows that um, the beauty and power of jazz spreads around the world and that if you present it in a new and an unexpected way, like we've been doing with the photographs of all these great jazz joints here in Japan, uh, there is an audience for it, you know. Um, I'm sure that we've spoken before about how, you know, people know that Japan is a jazz-loving country, um, because of all the live albums that have been released and all the tours that go back to the 1950s. But very few people know about the beauty of these places that we've been going to. So I think there is a great appetite for it. And uh, certainly happy to hear that there's so many countries downloading the show. That That is just wonderful, wonderful news. And a very happy International Jazz Day to all of you out there listening. Um, hopefully you checked out some of the great live events that were online this year. So this week, James, we were in Chiba um, and we're going to talk about a couple of different days, actually, because we did one of our weekend day trips. And then we're going to talk about another place uh, that we went to on a separate occasion. Uh, Chiba, what do you say about Chiba, really? I mean, it's where the airport is. If you've ever been to Japan, you'll probably remember the seven and a half hour trek from one of the terminals to get into the middle of Tokyo. Yeah, um, and from Chiba, Chiba friends, that's uh, definitely a point of contention where the first thing anyone ever mentions is, oh yeah, that's where the airport is. <laughs> there, are, <laughs> there, are a few, yep. there are a few nice things. It's a very large prefecture uh, to the east of Tokyo City. Um, near the Tokyo border is very suburban, but you get out a little bit more, it's countryside, and then you get to the seaside. Uh, so there are some very nice places, but generally maybe not the first uh, stop on your Japan tour of the 47 prefectures. Um, unless, of course, um, unless, of course, you're a surfer, because um, it, is, it is pretty famous for surfing. And actually, when you, when you go out to the, right out to the coast, um, there's towns and things that you're driving through there and, you know, in the winter they're pretty much dead. But in the summer you'd swear you were somewhere else. I mean, they're just absolute 
surf towns, you know, all designed around surfing, uh, surfers, you know, there's, there's shacks along the side of the road selling food. Well, you know, um, Philip, I'm from Brooklyn, so I don't really know from surfing at all, you know. I uh, tend, yeah. tend to stay away from there and hit, hit the jazz bars as soon as, as, soon as they open. Um, wrong audience, <laughs> wrong audience. Anyway, yeah, so, you know, Chiba, it's an interesting, it, it is an interesting place. I mean, there's times when you're in it. I've, I spent a couple of really nice weekends out there, and, uh, you know, it's it's really like, you can't quite believe how close you are to Tokyo, um, but yet you, you just, it feels like you're on sort of, it's almost a, an island feel to it um, in certain places and stuff. So anyway, enough of, enough of all that nonsense. Let's get on to the, uh, the, the, main, um, the main event, really, which is the jazz bars in Chiba. So where are we going to start today? Well, uh, you know, I mentioned that I myself am a Brooklyn boy, born and bred, and uh, we're going to start in Brooklyn uh, unbelievably named Jazz Cafe uh, in a very, very residential part of Chiba. Um, and if I remember correctly, this place was quite, it took us a good hour and 20 minutes or so on the train to get to uh, east of Tokyo proper. And, and another 15 minutes or so walk from the station. So we're talking deep suburbs here. And uh, as we've talked about in previous episodes, you know, sometimes these jazz cafes, the newer ones, they're opened actually in the owner's house. So what they'll do is mm. they'll redo the first floor of the house or they'll add on a little extension and they'll turn it into a, a cafe space. And these owners are generally, you know, generally men, sometimes couples, um, longtime jazz fans, long career as a salary man working for a company, always dreamed of opening their own jazz joint. And uh, when they took retirement at age 60 or 62, decided to take their retirement funds and pump it into, uh, you know, making a little cafe in their house. Um, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. We know a couple that have failed. We've been to a few that have failed. Um, but this one, Brooklyn, seemingly in the most nondescript, boring uh, suburban neighborhood, um, is, is still going after about 10 years. Um, and you remember, Philip, I mean, getting there was really a trek. I mean, we got, I think we got lost in these sort of identikit uh, suburban housing streets, like looking for it until we saw the sign, you know, outside in the parking space, which I believe you've captured on the website as well. One of your pictures, correct? Yeah. I mean, it, it, if you, if you look at the, the the photos of the exterior, I mean, it, it's got that absolutely classic identikit's probably a good way to describe it. That sort of prefab housing style that that's so um, reminiscent of like most Japanese suburbs, and even in the interior, you know, it's got that sort of faux brick kind of feel to it. So mm -hmm. you know, it, it looks a certain way, but it, it it's almost like sometimes you, you feel like if you give it a push, it would fall over. But yeah, I think it, we've seen a lot of these places, you know, sometimes it's a retirement thing. You know, we've had owners as well say that it was basically a choice uh, given to them by their wives to either get their uh, records collection sold or to go and house it somewhere else. Um, I remember the owner of JBS, of course, telling us the same story. So, you know, like it, it is a classic kind of example of that. And I, I mean, you know, and I suppose when you think about, you know, people retiring and stuff, I mean, why not do this? You know, it's, it's you know, you pot, you, a lot of these owners, they potter about there all day. They listen to the music they love. Uh, people come in, they serve them coffee. And, you know, it, it's a very clean crisp kind of interior compared to a lot of the places that we've described so far in the podcast for me it always kind of stands out because um like some of the older cafes we mentioned coltrane coltrane in particular you know they had the owner had built this kind of listening room type thing where he had the turntables 
Um, and then he has this sort of habit of putting the whatever record is playing up against the window. You can see there that um, in, in one of the pictures that it's probably... Um, Apart from my wife, I should probably say, just because she, if she ever does listen to the podcast, she'll probably be annoyed. But my other love would be Coltrane. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I was so pleased when we were in there, he was playing the album. And I, I love this photograph of sort of Coltrane staring wistfully out of this window. Totally forgivable. Win- and I'm certain that she's not listening at this point after seven episodes. But <laughs> or perhaps ever, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but you're right. The the little, the little sort of, uh, you know, DJ booth type thing we have seen several times. And and um, as you can see from the from the other photo uh, of the owner there, I mean, he's got a really good collection. He's got the records as well above, sort of above the bar um, yeah. around. And and it, just to go back to what you said previously about like, you know, well, why not do it? Because, you know, he's listening to the music anyway. And, and sometimes the neighbors would come by for a coffee. So why not just turn it into a cafe? And I remember him saying that um, it, it almost functioned as a sort of community space for even some of the neighborhood people who were, had no idea about the records that he was playing, you know? Um, we've talked about Japan being a jazz-loving country, but it doesn't mean that everyone is. So, you know, if he's putting on, uh, you know, the Horace Silver album that you can see above the counter, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's going to be some of his neighbors who would have no idea who how Horace Silver is and probably wouldn't care, but would still come by for a coffee and hang out there. In addition to the real jazz loving fans in the neighborhood who you know come to listen to the music so these sort of you know neighborhood newer um newer open places in 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 a very residential spot do serve a great purpose because a lot of the customers there probably are not going to get on the train and go into uh, maybe downtown chiba let alone all the way to Tokyo uh, to, yeah, go to, a, yeah. to go to a jazz cafe, but they will definitely go to one that they can walk to where they know the owner and they feel comfortable sitting for, you know, two, three hours or at night having a couple of drinks. And I think we've gone to maybe at least 10 plus of these kinds of places all around the country so far. Yeah, we'll probably cover um, a couple of other ones, I think, in different different regions of the country. I mean, they also serve, you often find... Um, kind of homemade cakes and things like that as well and and even a full food menu i mean i think this sort of place you know they do like kind of classic lunchtime curries and you know these Mm -hmm. kind of one plate dishes that are so popular in japan so yeah i mean it it is a jazz cafe but i suppose in this location and run by this guy you know it's a bit more than that as well and um yeah i mean again just another sort of reminder of how varied and different all these places are i mean they have a lot of commonalities but actually in many ways you know they're 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 all pretty unique in terms of um, their, 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 their own individual atmosphere and, and feel that they have. And uh, yeah, well, I, I, I remember mean, this guy, he, he wasn't fussed at all, you know, because sometimes we've, we've run into the owners who are so shocked or speechless with these two foreign guys showing up, speaking Japanese, asking to take pictures. But when I was talking with him uh, and I was telling him how I was from Brooklyn and I was really, you know, happy to see that he named his place this for reasons still unclear. Um, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't put out at all. He was really mellow and just kind of like, oh, yeah, it's great. You guys came by. Thanks a lot. And uh, Yeah, yeah. But again, I mean, it's, it, you know, just to emphasize, I mean, it, it's one of those places where, you know, unless you were seeking it out or you happen to live there, you would never go to it and you'd never really stumble on it. It's not the sort of uh, place you'd just be out for a walk, you know, unless you had some other um, reason to be there. But, uh, you know, in, its, in itself a nice space. I, my only regret probably is that uh, I didn't capture... 
uh, that sort of slightly dorky photo of you beside the big red cones that I well, took outside. You, you, I think I have that on my phone, but I'm not sure. Or it might be on Instagram if you go I, and have a look on I, there. But. I have that, but you did capture my glorious lime green shirt um, in full <laughs> Technicolor as I'm drinking a beer at what must be about 11.30 in the morning. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. No, 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 no regrets there. Um, yeah, yeah. You know. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> going from I mean, uh, going from Brooklyn though, you know, it, it's funny because the, the the neighborhood is so not Brooklyn. It's very very suburban there. You know? yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which a lot of Chiba really really is. Um, but the next joint uh, that we were going to hit on our list, which is a bit closer to downtown Chiba. Um, and I would say, I mean, how would you describe, uh, to me, Candy is one of the, maybe one of the best places we've been to for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, I mean, Candy, uh, so I suppose, it's again, I mean, it's, it's, it's very hard sometimes, even through the photographs, to, to explain just the the places and, and the, the location of them and, and just how completely incongruous they are with their surroundings. But if you're looking at the candy page on the website, you can see in the first photograph, you know, up in the top left, I mean, again, it, it's this sort of a identikit neighborhood that you described. And then just there, as you turn a corner, you know, just with all this kind of very manicured trees and nicely parked cars and clean streets, there's this uh, house which on is a regular house on the second floor and then the entire first floor is this um kind of concrete uh interior jazz bar with you know astonishing sound system um you know incredible memorabilia um tables and chairs to sit uh, space to have gigs and then of course the the incredible owner um you know who just chatted chatted away to us and uh, i always remember this what uh, this place particularly because she, and if you've been listening to previous episodes about Shinjuku, you know, the owner told us about how, you know, she was a high school student um, just around the time of sort of peak Bohemia in Shinjuku. And she used to leave school and wander around Shinjuku. And I remember her saying, you know, about how jazz was just the, the regular background music for department stores and, and regular shops. And that kind of inspired her to start buying jazz oh, records. No, and I mean, she, she actually, she worked in one of those stores. She worked in an electronics that's right. store. Yeah, that's and, right. And so they used to play you know they would they would play the radio in there for people who wanted to listen to the radios that they could buy or sometimes the stereo equipment so she heard jazz in there and became a mm. fan i think she was maybe 15 or 16 at the time yeah you know? so that was i think i think she i somewhere around mid 60s she mentioned so mm -hmm. i to me it always it always strikes me because i think you know it's like you know 40 50 years of of just buying records. Well, you and, can you know, see from her record collection, it's just unbelievable. I mean, you know, she has a, a variety of styles of jazz. And even, you know, that great photo you took of her, you know, going up to the top shelf to, to, to pull one out and then all the records that are facing, you know, facing the bar, including one of my favorites, the, the Malcolm X Memorial by Phil Coran in the bottom corner. Um, but also, you you know, you mentioned the sound system. This I think the second picture you have up the site there, you can see it in, the, in between the speakers these kind of bamboo sticks 
And yeah. uh, I actually went to the studio where those are made. They, they are made in, in a studio, uh, coincidentally, in Chiba uh, by Onkyo Engineering. And um, the the origin of those, we won't have to go too deep into the to the speaker talk, but the origin of that is the engineer was walking in the forest and was inspired by the, the way sound was in the forest and the way the sound would bounce off of the trees and the bamboo trees. And so he came up with this long process. It took years and years to make it. But when you put these bamboo sticks and you arrange them properly in any given space, the sound envelopes around you. It surrounds you. It's like being in a movie theater with surround sound. And so that's the, that's the system that she's got in this room in Candy. And you notice it immediately when you walk in. I mean, I remember mm. when we walked in, I was like, oh my God, the sound here is just fucking incredible, you know? Yeah. And with the live stuff, what's really interesting is that um, she's been over the years able to hook up with a lot of European free jazz musicians. So um, you'll see on a Saturday or Sunday, if you go by Candy, you, you know, you'll hear some of the most like really intense free jazz bands playing in this tiny, tiny space to about 15 musicians. And I'm telling you, we, you know, we say it again and again, what other country would you be able to go to a distant suburb of the capital and find foreign free jazz musicians playing in a cafe that's connected to a house? You know, it's just like yeah. where, where she's got about 5,000 albums easily. It's surreal really, isn't it? I mean, you, you kind of imagine just the very, probably fairly normal suburban life that goes on all around that place. And then, you know, if you open that door, you just got this kind of, you know, screaming uh, sound of, of free jazz gigs coming out into into the street. And, uh, you know, it's incredible, incredible place. For me, the the photograph, I suppose, of the sound system, again, is, is one of the ones that's reminiscent of Japanese shrines and temples again. I think we mentioned that briefly maybe in the first episode, but Egakan, if you, if you want to have another look uh, mm-hmm. at, at some photos, Egakan's another good example. But we see this a lot, you know, um, this, the speaker placement is very um, deliberate, it's very um, specific, and, you know, it often, the way that it is set up with, with the amps and so on, is it, it kind of is um it's suggestive i think of a of a sort of a shrine or or it has a kind of a religious um element to it the way that it's sort of revered and and um given sort of prime position in the bar so uh, it's just and and i think you know the there's a very organic look about the speakers and then the bamboo and then you have this kind of classic um kind of concrete uh unfinished interior that you see in a lot of japanese cafes or or in, in some apartments and and again you know really weird contrast but but uniquely sort of japanese in that sense mm-hmm. definitely and you know it's funny because i remember when we were talking with with hayashi-san who needless to say as we've talked about many times doesn't speak English very well. Most of these owners don't speak very good English, even though a lot of them have hung out with Western jazz musicians over the years. Um, very unclear how they were able to communicate. Um, but it, it was interesting because you, you mentioned about the, you know, the sort of shrine-like aspect that a lot of these places have, and you have a great picture of a lot of the sort of photos that are around the bar. You can see some good ones as one of Albert Eilers, one of Keith Jarrett up there, um, you know, with the door going out to the side to the bathroom with more of the bamboo speakers. But I remember I asked her about that while you were taking some pictures. And I was like, oh, you know, you know, how did you get all of these ones? And she kind of, it was strange. She didn't really explain it. She said, that, well, you know, over the years, people just, you know, leave things and you just sort of collect them. And I was thinking like, wait, did, did did customers just 
give her some of these pictures mm. or did people just be like oh i need to get rid of this poster here and put it in your bar um we're gonna go into a lot of detail on a future episode about all the for lack of a better word memorabilia that you see in these jazz cafes but this is it's a very big part of the atmosphere and it's always something that i spend a lot of time looking at because you think okay and, and on the one hand and you can see it in the photo you took here right philip you've got the great day in harlem framed yeah, picture yeah, yeah. which is a wonderful picture but not at all unique it's one that you could see anywhere um but then right next to that you see some signed albums that are you know came from like sweden in 1972 and you're like well okay i know you didn't go there so how did you get this did somebody give it to you uh did the artist give it to you did you buy it in an auction and you know it, it's always a, a, an intriguing subplot to to go beyond just their record collection but to see all the knickknacks that are crowded around Around. Um, and definitely you mentioned Agacon, which we'll get to on another episode as well, the, the, the film director guy whose yeah. whose bar is full of film memorabilia. But that's one of the things that stuck out to me about Candy as well. I mean, it's basically, it's a space that's just got everything. It's got the lovely owner, the great sound system, the cool atmosphere, and the unbelievable record collection. Was it Peter Was it Peter Brutzman? Is that who it was that had played there? I think yes, we Peter had, we had Brotsman, a conversation. Peter Brutzman yeah. plays there regularly when he comes to Japan. I mean, ima- yeah, imagine yeah. listening to him in that space it would just be deafening you know for yeah. people who don't who don't know peter brosman is a very very loud german free jazz saxophone player who uh, i've seen several times in japan but it would be a real treat to see him in candy so we're going to move from um candy then we'll leave it and um we're off we're going to stay in chiba but we're we're going to ancient egypt uh, do you want to explain Ah, another one. You know, I keep saying this, Philip. How can all of these places be in my top ten? It's, just, it's somewhere along the line. It's uh, my math has to get better. But uh, you need to look at that top ten because it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely overweight. It's 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 up to about thirty five at the moment. But um, we are going to a place called Nefertiti, and Nefertiti is just unbelievable um again located way way out in suburban chiba this is a good hour and 30 minutes um from central tokyo and then a 20 minute walk from a very rinky dink station next to a country road opposite the suntory whiskey factory that's uh, it's right, the yeah. jazz spot Nefertiti Cafe and Bar. Um, the sign and the interior make you think that it's 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 quite an old place, but it's not. It's only been open for about ten plus years. Mm. Um, now, thankfully, when we walked in, the two things stuck out right away. One, it's a very large space because it's you know far from the center of town. It's even far from the station. Uh, but the second thing was the incredible owner, Mr. Kurita. Kurita-san was definitely, I would say, in top five most friendly bar owners that we've run into. I mean, we explained our project and it just so happened we knew a lot of similar people, you know, in the jazz bar and jazz cafe world. Uh, But he just got a beautiful big smile on his face, sat down and talked to us for a good hour or so all about his place as you can see from the from the great portrait photo you took he's a big cecil taylor fan that's where the name of the bar comes from yeah Um, and you can see it in that photo he's got a sort of a paper cut of that of nefertiti and then he's got um i think just behind the live space he had that sort of large hanging poster of the cecil taylor unit album so it's also uh, on his t-shirts uh his t-shirts for the bar uh, is the Which cover. I believe we purchased, did we? We did certainly we? I feel we like certainly we did. did. Yeah. Yes, we I must look did. that out. Wonder yes. I, I, I must ask my wife. It could have disappeared down a black hole. <laughs> um, you can see how. I mean, you can see how rural it is if you look at the photograph of the sign, which includes the 
signs for a few other places because you know it's literally a forest so i remember it being kind of along a road and pretty much the left hand side of the road was just you know uh greenery and then there was these couple of buildings next to the suntory place that, that we went into i mean just to give an idea of the richness and and the the amount of things if for want of a better word that are in these places and this is a particularly good example the the photograph that you see of the record collection with the the old sort of stereo system that's taken through the front door so that alone was just in the lobby as we stepped in so that wasn't even in the the bar proper i i remember sort of thinking how am i going to get this and i think if i'm not mistaken i shot it through the door so you know that just gives you an idea of the scale of of collections of of memorabilia of records uh, of posters of tickets whatever it might be that that exist in some of these places and you know we will come to that in a different episode but it, it does make you wonder you know when these places go uh, where is this stuff going to and you know how is it being preserved and oh, i don't even and, want to think about that i mean yeah. i think it would make me cry but but you're right i mean the the, the amount of things and now his you know, Nefertiti is a much bigger space than a lot of the, the other places we've been to. But yeah, he definitely has got a huge collection of music. You've got some really good photos of some of the, the heavier albums that he has. Um, but also that great picture of the bottles with, with the <laughs> rather incongruous Chet Baker wooden block letters. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. For people who are outside of Japan who don't understand what this picture is, these bottles have little name tags on them. Um, you can see one in English. On the on the bottom one, it says Doctor Ida. So obviously, Doctor Ida is a customer who bought a custom made bottle of Nefertiti. What, what was that booze? Was it whiskey, or was he making his own whiskey or shochu? It's probably shochu, which I, is a Japanese, I doubt uh, it, yeah. yeah, potato liquor. But anyway, in Japanese bars and jazz bars, you buy a bottle, you put your name on a name tag. Uh, you drink whatever you want the first night, and then you just leave it on the shelf. And when you come back the next time, you just buy your, you know, your glass of ice and ginger ale or tonic water, and you can have your bottle there as long as you want it. It's called a bottle keep system. I don't think this custom exists anywhere outside of Japan. It certainly would not exist where we come from, where the staff would be drinking these half-empty bottles immediately. Um, <laughs> But this is a very, very Japanese thing. So you can see all of these people in the picture you got here, right, Philip? These are all different customers who bought bottles yeah. of, of Nefertiti alcohol. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just fantastic with the one random Glenfiddich there in the middle, you know? It's kind of a status thing, isn't it? I mean, actually, I um, you say it doesn't exist, but I um, got very excited one night. We were at a bar in Dublin, and a guy produced this bottle of whiskey, and I noticed his name was written on it. So I was saying, oh, you know, what was the story with this? And it turns out in this particular bar... You can buy like a small locker for like a hundred euros a year, uh, and uh, with, with that then comes a bottle of Jemisons, which you can get your name printed on. And, really, um, wow. it's the first time I've come across it outside Japan, so I was so, I was so excited. <laughs> yeah. I put my name on the waiting list for a locker, but uh, yeah. my number hasn't come up yet. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, you know, if you look at um, for the collectors too, I mean, some of the records. I mean, he was pulling out these various records, and I mean, this is just a tiny tiny sample of what he had but i remember just put oh have you seen this have you heard this and just even by looking at the sleeves i mean they're just you you know the rarity that he has in in the collection and, and a lot of these owners have in their collections is oh just i mean yeah i was so taken with that you know? uh, i was so taken with that don pullen album i i just wanted to ask him if he would sell it to me you know because i was just like jesus i've never seen this before but yeah. you know kurita san the owner of this uh of, of nefertiti was is really interesting because 
Um, you know, again, like the owner of Brooklyn, Nefertiti is not a very old place. Uh, Kuditsan opened it after he retired. He was a very uh, longtime employee of the Department of Education in Chiba, in Chiba Prefecture, um, and but was collecting jazz throughout the years and started collecting when he was a teenager working in a curry shop. Uh, where the owner used to play jazz. And he told a really beautiful, charming story of that's how he met his wife, because his wife was a customer of the curry shop. She used to come in for lunch with her girlfriends. And she liked jazz as well, so they started dating and eventually married. And I guess after a while, um, same same old story, she was just like, you got to get rid of all these records and CDs. <laughs> You know, so go open your cafe. So he opened Nefertiti when he retired. And the cool thing is that even though it's, you know, even though it is kind of out way out in the suburbs, um, you know, a lot of customers go there. And and do you remember, Philip, him telling us about the sort of like jazz cafe uh, exploration society of old retired Japanese people? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what image that paints for people listening, but uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds probably a lot more adventurous and exciting than it really is. But Japan's very big on societies. It's very big on what they call sakud, you know, these kind of groups of hobbyists or enthusiasts. And uh, yeah, of course, naturally, jazz has one too. And, and you can imagine these trips very well coordinated, very well organized, everyone well hydrated. And they head out into the wilds of wherever they are and they go around these cafes um, to appreciate them and you know and and in a way you know you have to appreciate the effort uh, because they're in some ways you know keeping these places alive because as we've said they're often in obscure and uh, not particularly accessible places so uh, yeah good on them I say oh yeah absolutely and, and it is a very very Japanese thing to you know the sort of group travel activity um, which you know in almost every other circumstance I would be absolutely appalled to join in <laughs> But in this case, knowing that you're going to go around and you're going to visit four or five uh, jazz joints in one day uh, on a tour and that, you know, drinking copious amounts of alcohol is allowed um, at every stop, I think uh, these are people that I'd want to hang out with. Um, the worrisome thing, though, is, and I think I remember we talked with Kuritsan a little bit about this, was that, you know, when the customer base skews only to retired people obviously your long-term business is is a bit of a worry um and um as we've mentioned a lot of times you know many of these places have closed you know so um it's really important that they that they can bring in the younger jazz fans as well somehow uh, because even with japan being an aging society and the population skewing to above 65 you know you can't run a business like that forever um you know and again as we always say, we'd like to tease our later episodes here. We will be getting into how the jazz joints have adapted uh, to the modern world on a future episode to bring in younger yep. customers and to sort of yep. basically just adopt uh, uh, adapt to how Japan has changed. So we will get into that a little bit more later. Uh, but anyway, Nefertiti, absolutely one of my top top places in all of japan love it still have my t-shirt in fact you you took my uh facebook profile picture of me wearing my nefertiti t-shirt do you remember that did i did did, did any money exchange hands for that because i don't remember it, getting it, mo it it most it most certainly did not but you did receive a lot of compliments so i will pass uh, them right. on to you you know yeah. uh where okay are we well where are we, where are we going next so, I mean, we went to Candy on a separate day, as we said, a bit earlier on the project. Um, Brooklyn Nefertiti, we started in Nefertiti, uh, waited for it to open, um, like we had nothing better to do, standing around the car park. 
if I remember, and sort of a bit cold out on the step. Then we got ourselves around to Brooklyn. And just to give an idea of the scale, I mean, it doesn't sound like that many, three places in a day, but Chiba's a pretty pretty large prefecture, and we were travelling, you know, fairly extensive distances by train to get to these places. So in the end, um, we, we wanted to finish off the day in a place called Billy's. And you're probably familiar with Billy's already um, if you're listening to the podcast because it's actually where the profile picture for the podcast comes from, the sort of... Uh, porthole with Billy's bar written backwards on it and you can if you the, the more observant among you will notice that James is actually sitting in the middle of the picture this is one occasion where I deliberately put him in the picture rather than him wandering in and if if you're even more observant you'll see you can just catch a very artistic self-portrait of my uh, right shoulder uh, also in the reflection of the window but Billy's bar was I mean Again, it's it's very hard to say top 10, top, because they all leave an impression on you in different ways. But it wasn't the easiest thing to get into Billy's Bar because we, we arrived over at the station to find the shutter down. And as we said before, you know, the shutter down could mean either it's closed forever, it's closed at the minute, um, and it will be opening if you're persistent and wait, or uh, it's closed for today. And the chances are, you know, you could hang around for another two, three hours and uh, still not get in. So... Happily for us, we, we took the decision to hang around and see if things would, would change. So I remember, and you can't see these on the photos, but I'll maybe post it up on social media. They have a mural of the Red Garland Trio Groovy album on the shutter. So that was very resolutely down. Uh, and we wandered around the neighborhood to find someone else and uh, to wait and see if it was going to open. And of course, Japan being Japan, we didn't just wander into your regular high street chain or uh, coffee shop. We stumbled on what can only be described as, I suppose, a Palestinian library. Would that be? Is that is that too much of a stretch? I mean, that's, is that that's exactly that's exactly what it was. Yep. I know this. This is just going to sound ridiculous to a lot of people, but we're we're not joking. This was a a little um, bookshop, bookshop slash cafe. Uh, who and they had a collection of books in Japanese and in English, some even in in French uh, and I believe in Arabic as well, um, all about Palestine. And um, it was it was so unexpected. And you know, by this point, we had been you know wandering around the whole day, had a couple of drinks. It was just sort of like, okay, uh, well, we've got time to kill. Let's uh, go into the Palestinian Library Cafe, and I believe we ordered uh, some, some hummus snacks <laughs> and uh, a Palestinian uh, beer, which yeah. was imported. Um, but I, I don't remember. I think that the owner wasn't necessarily there. It was just a sort of a part time staff. We didn't get the full story of what this shop was no uh, but no. it was it was a complete mystery and just one of those moments where you think like you know it's 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 already a real trip to go around to these uh to these jazz spots that we've been doing by this point we had been doing for what you know two years or so you know but uh going into the palestinian library cafe eating some hummus and drinking a palestinian beer at about 6 p.m in in uh, Nishichiba Station uh, was was just one that you, you you file back for. Okay, yeah, Japan, man, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you're listening, if you're listening in London or New York, um, you know, you or you know, LA, you might be thinking, well, okay, big deal, you know, jazz bar, and round the corner there's a Palestinian library, and round the corner there's another shop from a different place, and yeah. and all the rest of it, but. You know, not to put too fine a point on it, this is a tiny, fairly small suburban station in a, you know, 
middling prefecture in Japan, albeit it's close to Tokyo. And and I think that's what's just so bizarre about in, in, it. In you, one of the most stumble. in one of the most homogenous countries in the world. So yeah, just yeah, just yeah. not just not what you expected to see. And I, I remember because we were debating where to have like a drink while we were waiting to go into Billy's, you know? And it was like, well, we can go to that place or that place. And as soon as we saw that, it was like, oh, we, we've got to go and kill some time in here. Yeah. You know? So we've I mean once we'd finished our hummus and you know settled up we uh, stumbled out into the street, and of course, by this point, Billy's was open. And if you if you're looking at the photos, which you definitely should be, uh, you know, it looks kind of. I mean, the sign in particular, it, it's got a bit of a look. If you were designing a jazz bar for a film, it's kind of what it would look like. You know, it's got the classic sort of neon sign, uh, kind of a you know jaunty kind of font. You know, looks quite appealing. Uh, it's got the little porthole window and so on, but. Um, that's sort of where the similarities end, really, because when we went in, it was the porthole seemed appropriate because I remember it being a, a fairly small, quite cramped sort of space, a bit like a sort of a ship's cabin almost. Oh, completely. Um, very, very small. Um, a little bit oddly shaped, almost like a Pentagon kind of like little square yeah. room. And um, and the owner was was just um, a real a real interesting cat. Uh, he basically said, "You guys speak Japanese," and we were like, "Yeah." And I don't think he stopped talking for the entire time we were there. Um, incessantly, yeah, incessantly. Yeah, he just yeah. and you know whether he was going on a riff or asking us questions about where we'd been or did you know this guy? I mean, he he uh, he was not hesitant with the conversation at all. And I remember him going into quite a sort of a long explanation about the meaning of hip, of what it was to be hip and, oh, and what jazz meant. Yes. And he, he was talking about, he was <laughs> yes, talking about right. like how being jazz is not, it's being open to different things. And he was sort of railing against almost, I think, maybe other owners, this very kind of, uh, you know, um, autocratic, you know, sort of dogmatic approach to jazz that, you know, jazz is this and jazz is that. Yes. And he was sort of saying, that's, that. that's not what jazz is about. You know? <laughs> I remember that. He was, yes, he did. He went on a, he definitely went on a little thing about, about how a lot of jazz bar owners were really, you know, uh, elitist and close minded and, and how he didn't, he didn't consider them to be real lovers of music. And yeah, yeah, man, it was just so strange. I mean, because, you know, we've had, so many um, owners be kind and, and and chatty about our project or about their bar, but not really talk that way to us, which is not a very Japanese way of speaking anyway, especially to a stranger, yeah. you know, especially not to someone you've just met and not that person who's your customer, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he was not hesitant to, to give his opinion on a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, I remember I remember thinking that I really liked him and, and I loved his bar because it, it felt like you said, you know, it's funny, you mentioned the, uh, the sort of neon sign in front. Um, it just does have that feel of like your standard neighborhood jazz bar in any city in America, you you know where people come by at night to, to hear some music, and obviously with Billy's, uh, you know, being the name Billy's, you can see from one of the photos you got there, he's got a big Billy Holiday thing going on with all the records. Yeah, even, I think it's a, it's a T-shirt, wasn't it, over the back of a? It was over the back of a chair. Yeah. That, that picture, that famous picture of Billy Holiday. Just to, just on a note on the pictures, actually, I mean, there's a, a a picture of the hallway, I suppose, uh, probably one of the steepest staircases I've ever been on. 
Um, and I've been on many, but, but <laughs> it was, that was the toilet. And I think it was upstairs. So you had to go up this town. I remember coming down and you know, it was late later in the evening. And I remember thinking, do you know, like there must be a lot of people that go head first down these staircases. Uh, I, after I a did couple not of drinks. enjoy that staircase at all. Yeah. I, yeah. I imagine you wouldn't. Yeah. No, no. Um, in terms of Easter eggs, you know, if you're, if you're kind of into that kind of thing, if you look at the photograph of the coat hanger, particularly, um, there's a couple of nice little um, touches, I think, which th there's the Miles Davis on the left, which I'm pretty sure is also in one of the, the album is also in one of the uh, photographs of Garo, which, and it's sometimes it's really nice when we have those little uh, common features that go across the joints, but perhaps more interesting on the shelf, if you zoom in on the photograph, it actually says, and we've mentioned this before in reference to Eagle and a couple of other places, but you'll see an older um, <laughs> sign. Um, he definitely did not follow this, but um, it says, if you can't read it, it says silence is requested during the performance. So again, just a, a throwback to that time where, you know, these places were very much designed to be listening bars. You were to go in, listen to the music, respect the, the performer or the or the record that was playing and not actually just go in for, for a good old chat and stuff like that. Now, what's perfect is that What's perfect is that the sign's in English, okay, which, yeah, which makes no sense. <laughs> good point. And yeah. also that there's clearly no live performances going on in Billy's Bar, which could barely have six customers. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So did he make that? Did he get it from someone? Where did he see it online and just thought, oh, yeah, that looks cool. That, that's jazzy. I want to put that up there. I mean, just, you know, so many questions about that little sticker. Um, you know, we have to go back there and ask him one day. Yeah. So, listen, we'll probably leave it there for this week. Um, and that was Chiba. Yeah. If you want to have a look at the photographs that we've talked about, if you go to the podcast page on tokyojazzjoints.com um, I'm putting on links each week to the specific bars but of course you can find all the bars in the tab uh, labeled joints on the website uh, these are all in Chiba so they're underneath the region section rather than Tokyo so like by all means go in there and uh, it's really probably a good idea to have them open if you're listening to the podcast and you're able to do that because uh, it should bring them to life a lot more that's episode eight, James, uh, which by my calculations, I know you mentioned your math's not so great, but um, I reckon next week is episode nine, and uh, we've got a couple of special guests uh, for do. this one. This will we be a first do. for the podcast. Yes, I mean, you know, first you buy a microphone stand, now we have guests. I mean, it's Jesus, all happening. You know, it's by, all happening. by episode 10, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be rocking. Please do tune in next week, and of course, during the week, get in touch with us. Philip, what are our social media details? You can get us basically anywhere you like online uh, if you look for Tokyo Jazz Joints. So the website, as I've said, www.tokyojazzjoints.com. You can get us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all at Tokyo Jazz Joints. We would love to hear from you. You know, we've heard from people that we know, people that are supporting the podcast. Uh, if you're if you're listening in a further flung country or you're in somewhere that we wouldn't necessarily associate with jazz or you just want to get in touch and say hi, please, please do. Um, it'd be great to hear from you. We'll give you a shout out on the podcast. Uh, and most importantly, please keep listening. Um, we've got a lot more content to come. Uh, we're delighted that people are enjoying the podcast. Uh, and yeah, until next week, James, take it easy. You too. Be safe. And of course, don't forget, check out the OK Jazz podcast. If you like loud music, I think you will appreciate the latest episode. Sorry for the sudden intrusion of PR, but you know, gotta That's do what you gotta, right. gotta do. What you we've, gotta come, do. we've come to expect it by this stage. <laughs> take it easy. I'll talk to you next week. Talk to you soon, bud. Bye-bye.